Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Oh, friends, welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is heavy hauling with the freight coach, Chris Jolly. How's it going, Chris? Joe, it is going fantastic, and it's always a pleasure to come back on your uh, your show here. I'm glad to have you back. So, guys, stick around. We're going to talk to the freight coach, and if you, in case you don't know who the freight coach is, it's Chris Jolly. You got to check out all his media everywhere on social media and the podcasting. And we're going to talk about heavy hauling because it's something Chris has always been really good at. And, you know, it's a, it's a, a space that everybody's impacted by. And everybody in the freight brokerage business, for the most part, knows it's a little harder. And some companies probably shouldn't be doing it at all. And we'll talk more about that. But heavy hauling is Chris's specialty. So anyway, Chris... Please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. No, absolutely. It is, uh, as always, it's great to be back on here, Joe. And, you know, I I started. Thank you. I've been in brokerage for a long time now, and I recently got out on my own. I've been doing a lot of sales consulting over these last couple of years as I've been finding my way, you know, with a career transition at the time that led to doing a bunch of media work and this growing into what it is and you know it brought me back to my love which is it is transportation i love everything about this industry and you know a couple of months back we started freight coach logistics and we're a, you know third party broker just like everyone else we're an agent with uh, underneath the spi logistics umbrella and you know i i went into open deck and heavy haul freight because that that's my like my love you know i started off doing food and beverage back in the day but for the last 4 or 5 years that i was brokering I only did open deck and heavy haul freight. And I am a little kid when I see a Caterpillar dozer on an RGN or a front end loader on on that same RGN or anything, skid steers on flatbeds and everything. I just I become a little kid because I like remember like the talk of trucks in the sandbox. And it it you know, it it also brought a different intricacy to it because it's not as simple as twenty-six pallets, forty-four thousand pounds, you know going one pick, one drop. I mean, the intricacies are everything from a crane offload to a job site to a roadside delivery because it's a construction material that needs to be utilized for uh, freeways and and everything. And it, it's just, it's everything's different inside of it. And, you know, when I got back into it, I knew I had to choose a niche because no matter what, like, I think people underestimate how large the transportation industry is. And they think like, oh, I'm going to chase a market and I'm going to do this where it's like, no, I'm going to be undeniably the best at my core competency. And that's, and that's heavy haul and that's open deck freight. Yeah. And I, you know, before we hit record, we were talking about this. We've talked many times. Yes. I was just on your podcast the other day, which I appreciate you having me on. Well, week before that, we were talking just about the business. And one of the things we both have said many times on our individual podcasts and when we're together is you do want to have that niche. And there is certain things like cold chain that the bar is higher. You know, when you're moving cold chain, it's harder. It's different. Final mile has its own challenges. And by the way, anybody who's moving a ton of dry van who says, hey, this dry van is real hard because it's the, it's probably the most competitive space. When you get to stuff like heavy haul and specialized vehicles, 
it's harder to find those guys. There's a lot fewer drivers who do that. There's a lot few, fewer companies that specialize in that. And you have to find a company that's willing to go out. That, that That's where the driver is checking those chains to make sure everything's strapped down properly. It is a different business. And I've, I've we were just joking about it before we hit record. The nature of freight brokerage is we can do anything. And there's always like, hey, can you move this? Can you move this giant, giant infrastructure piece? Oh, yeah, absolutely we can. Yeah. And and then and then as soon as you hang up, they walk over the their buddy or the boss and start making phone calls to anybody that they know who has a has a semblance of knowledge in that area. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. And it's like I, I think that it's always more detrimental to say that you can do something when you know you can't. You know, like I'm never going to say like don't take risks and don't try new things, but like you need to be educated in what you're calling on. Because otherwise, like what real value are you adding to somebody's uh, operation, you know? And, and right. I, I, you know, the, the beauty of experience, Joe, is, I, you know, you learn things, you know, like I say a lot, I, I know a lot of what not to do in this industry. And I, and, and I think that that's why I found success in, in that regard. But I'm also like, if you know you can't do something, like there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, but let me find out. I think like you, you'll be in a lot better position that way because again, like, especially with overdimensional freight, this is not cheap. Like this stuff is extremely expensive. There are only a handful of drivers out there that will actually move something that weighs 200,000 pounds or 150,000 pounds. That's 14 feet wide and 16 feet tall. It's not a post it up on a load board. We'll find you a truck in an hour. And then it's a sale to the customer, but it's also a sale to those carriers as well who are doing it, Joe, because some of those some of those drivers have about almost a million dollars worth of equipment you know that it's not a standard truck like it's geared differently the axles are different it, it's an extended frame like the, the weight disbursement on all of these I mean some of these RGN trailers are like six six hundred thousand dollars five hundred thousand dollars depending on how many axles right. they are and then the truck is at least a quarter of a million if not three hundred thousand dollars depending on how intense of a shipment that it'll move so you have to be able to sell it to that carrier that Hey, I do know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you've been on my podcast before, where we talked about you know uh, how to improve your sales, and and you did you've done a lot of that through the freight coach, and I've done some of that in the past too, where I'm working with 3PLs on how to grow their sales. And one of the things I think we both feel very strongly about is you have to pick that niche, partly because when you when you're talking to someone, it's a lot easier if you say. We're doing a lot of retail work. The company I work at works with Target. They work with Costco. They work with Best Buy. And then when you call that next company, you can say, hi, we specialize in retail logistics. We're already working with, you know, blank, blank, and blank. We understand the six or seven problems that are very common for retailers that maybe not every other broker understands. Yeah. And you want to be able to say that. And I think especially when you come to your your area here, which is heavy hauling, there are things you need to know. There are questions you need to ask. And you, everyone can make a checklist, right? But there's nothing better than saying, I've got 10 of those that I've done this month and I'm doing one a day. It's different than, than we do one a year. <laughs> and And we're trying to call that guy we used to know. <laughs> that is not good enough in your space. 
I, I don't think it's good enough in any space, Joe, to be honest with you, like, but especially in there, because again, I think like, what are you actually trying to accomplish? Because I think a lot of sales reps are just dialing for the sake of dialing. They don't even like, they don't know why they're calling. But if you're going to dial, dial the same kind of companies, if you're going to dial, do all retail, <laughs> especially when you're building your book of business, because I think like what you'll find out is every shipper inside of a specific niche has very similar pain points, right? And if you're able to identify that and position your your knowledge on how you have helped your current customers overcome those, that's where the right. special sauce is in this. And because, I, again, I don't think as a broker especially, you do not have the luxury to call a shipper and talk to them about their operations and find out like, hey, what's what's some of your biggest pain points? Like you need to know – what their biggest pain points are. You need to know how they are going to operate just as well as they do. And that comes from experience. And again, if you want to make headway with, with a specific freight type, call the same profile shipper time and time again. And I think you will find longer lasting success. Now, that's not to say you can't transition as your book of business grows and you expand. You can always say yes to some other business later. And and maybe if 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 you if you get some easy stuff and you say we, it's well within our wheel, yeah. wheelhouse, but it's not what I want to be known for. And I would also suggest this, and this is getting a little off topic, but I'll still say it. We do know that we have technology now that is enabling us to do a lot more shipments, correct per person. The tech is going to do more and more and more, and who knows how much it will do, right? But I do think instead of you managing twenty or thirty shipments in a week, you might find yourself able to manage two or 300 or two or 3,000 at some point. And I can say this because I see all these gray hair and that bald head. That, that, that's because I'm older. <laughs> and you learn some things. The job I started off in, I was a designer on the board, draftsman, that we went on the CAD systems. And I remember we all got paid a ton to be on those drafting system, uh, on the CAD systems. Yeah. The systems cost a fortune when they came out. Very, very few designers today. Why? Because we made a ton of money and our job could get easier and easier with the tech. Same with freight brokers. There are a lot of freight brokers making great money. And if we can take them out, if you can't add value in the equation, you're going to find yourself out. And I think that what that means for a lot of freight brokers and 3PL people is pick a niche. So if you say I'm in retail, maybe your next job isn't necessarily in logistics. Maybe it's I'm going to go run an apparel warehouse. I'm going to go become a buyer at one of these companies. Look at yourself as that part of that supply chain as opposed to just a freight broker. And when I say just a freight broker, not putting that industry down in any way because it is hard right now, but it will get easier. And I think a lot of us are going to have to look beyond the industry to grow our careers. Yeah. No, I would agree, man. I would agree with that. So anyway, Mr. Freight Coach, <laughs> tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you became the freight coach. Yeah, man. I, you know, I'm from a typical working class family in Northern Wisconsin. You know, my dad, I come from a family of truck drivers and, you know, I just, I've grown up around this industry. This industry is all I've really known. And, you know, I went to college back in Wisconsin and, you know, I went because I thought like, that's what you had to do, you know? And then I like, and I had a big goal of, I wanted to be the first one that would graduate with my bachelor's degree out there. And, you know, after I got all that and, you know, spent a whole bunch of money on tuition and everything else out there, I was like, well, here I am. And I, I don't know what I really wanted to do. And wait, where'd you go to school? 
so I went to University of Wisconsin Stout campus in uh, Menominee, Wisconsin. And yeah, I went to a state school. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have the uh, UW Madison. Well, that's, those are, those are great schools though. I know. It's a blast. Especially in Wisconsin. And yeah, I mean, you know, I went the tech school route. So it's like I had. Drink Wisconsinably. <laughs> drink Wisconsinably. Exactly. I have the shirt. But no, man, like I had to go the untraditional route. Cause like when I graduated high school, I had pretty shitty grades and I had to go and go to a tech school and, and get my two year degree to show that I could go to school. And, but what I found with that though, Joe, is like it, I did that too. <laughs> yeah, man. But it, to me, it was I had no interest in like eighty percent of the curriculum growing up. I loved world history and and business classes. So then, when I went to college, though, and I started taking business classes, like that was the first time I ever hit an honor roll. Like I graduated with honors in both things because I'm like, oh, this is very interesting to me. I enjoy this, and uh, you know. But now it, it's like looking back and, and getting into the real world. It's like I understand that you know school is it's there's beneficial to a point, but I also realize that real world experience, especially in freight, is going to pay off a lot longer, and it's going to be a lot less expensive on the uh, the tuition aspect of things. And you know, so I got into freight brokering back in, and I just never looked back, man. I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the uncertainty of it all. And, you know, just like with everybody, you know, it faded after about 10 years in, I I felt like I had accomplished everything that I possibly could. And I wanted to try something new. And that kind of brought me into doing a bunch of the media work. And then it, you know, I started doing sales training because no one was hiring in 2020. So I started my own company. And, you know, if you follow me out there, it might come as a surprise to you to hear this, but I am a man of faith. I pray every single day. Everything I have is because of God's blessings. And, I always wanted to be my own boss and do my own thing. And I'd been praying for it for a long time. And voila, here was that opportunity. And that's what started doing everything. And then that brought me back full circle is what I've realized, Joe, is I really do not like working for other people. I love working for myself. And, you know, but again, it, it took a lot of experience. And, and I'm glad like the route that I'm on and the path that I'm on is exactly the path that I'm destined to be on. And I'm loving what I'm doing right now. I'm loving learning this. And like my business partner in freight coach logistics right now, he doesn't have a traditional freight background, but he's, he's from your world, Joe, he's an engineer by trade. And, but what we we've accomplished, I mean, he's my best friend. I I mean, he's known me my entire life. He's, He's actually my first cousin and he knows me better than anybody. And we work very well together because we are from a personality standpoint, polar opposites. Like he, like, as you know, engineers, you guys love to document stuff. You guys love processes and everything. ABC one, two, three. I follow that just in my head. I don't write anything down. So again, like he's bringing from a structural standpoint, we are a perfect pair in that regard because he's not necessarily, he, he is a sales guy. He can talk to people. He's great out there, but that's not his first, his, one of his, you know, big strengths as a whole. So like we work very well together and I'm really excited to see how this all grows out and progresses because we've invested heavily in training, you know? So like a a thing that a lot of people think is like when you're, when you start a business, you're a millionaire overnight. That's just not the case at all. Yeah. It takes weeks. Yeah. It takes a couple of days to solve, (laughs) but we've been, you know, as we've been scaling and growing, Joe, we've invested a lot of our time in process implementation, sales training, operational training, because I want to deliver a consistent product to all of my customers. I want all of my customers, anytime they hear Freight Coach Logistics on the phone, they know exactly what they're going to get with it. 
And then I want my team to be prepared for things because I think fundamental training is lacking at scale in this industry. Because again, like what we're talking about, you can't just call somebody for the sake of calling them. I don't want to insult anybody and waste their time because time's the only resource of value in this, on the, in this life. And when my people call, they're calling with a purpose. They're calling because you know what? We can add value to your operation. And my team is going to be prepared for that. As we grow and scale this out, my team will be prepared. My training will be more and more in-depth as we go. And we're going to be able to identify these things because I'm a big as like I'm a big data guy at the end of the day. I, I love data. I like the conversion cycle of sales. I like the process of things like how long does something take and how can we make ourselves more efficient to bring more value to our carrier and our customer partners. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you're saying about the the, the sales training. And especially it's important in your space here because again, the bar is higher higher when you're moving the kind of stuff you're moving and uh you know the, again the the challenge is getting that green guy who's able to make those phone calls so he feels comfortable because i get a lot of phone calls to this day and i know i've referred a lot of people to you over the years yeah to the when you're still doing um a lot of sales coaching companies are, not every company is doing a great job at educating their people on on how to become not a sales guy to become an expert in the space because there's a difference nobody calls you and says hey could you sell me on heavy haul you're like no let me let me explain you know what we know about it and share our expertise and and that's different so i want to switch gears i want to talk a little bit what is heavy hauling for those who don't live it day to day and what kind of trucks are you using when you're talking about heavy hauling? So heavy haul is, you know, anything over 80,000 pounds. So obviously, you know, as you know out there, 80,000 pound gross weight is truck, trailer, and cargo. That's legal. So heavy haul and overdimensional freight are one and the same. So, you know, w- with that being said, typical heavy haul is any shipment that weighs over 50,000 pounds for an open deck because you're not exactly going to overload a drive in or a reefer intentionally, anyways. And open deck could be also just a flatbed, right? Yep, flatbed, step deck, Conestoga, and then art removable gooseneck, double drop. There's a Landall trailers. There's a bunch of different trailers. Are you making types. any of that up? Are those no, every single things? one of them. No. <laughs> No, so explain some of the what some of those vehicles are. Yeah, so you know, for an RGN, for example, that that's where you get the really heavy pieces loaded out on them, and then they're, they're anything from a, you know, you have a five axle RGN to a twelve axle RGN that's out what there. What's RGN stand for? Do you know? Removable gooseneck. So there's a well inside of the RGN, which is where the product is actually loaded into. Most of them are twenty eight to thirty foot. Some of them have an extendable well on there that you can. They put. call those also low boys or not. Yeah, low boy is another terminology. Uh, it's a different. It's technically a different trailer than an RGN. So those are for the things that are so tall that if you put it on a regular flatbed, it would crash into the bridge as you were driving. So you now need. Yeah. So it's when you see one of those trucks or tra- tractors, I should say, that has. You'll see the wheels, and then the the freight itself is lower than the 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 wheel wheel well. Yes. And you know, a lot of it is, is like wh- why you would use an RGN, for example, is because you can load depending on the state. So that's one thing to take into consideration is every state law is different from a height, width, length, weight perspective on what requirements come along with that. So again, like if you're, this is why it's important to work with somebody who, who moves this stuff, because 
I don't want a driver to get to the port of entry in the state of California and your permits are all wrong. You actually need a pilot car out there for a specific product or there's a specific roadway that goes on there that you're going to need a police escort for. Again, it's like this is the importance of knowing this and this is why I would beg people to not do it unless you are aware of all of these requirements that come along with it. But you know, generally speaking, an RGN, you can load a piece that's 12 feet, three inches high. It, depending on the state, you can go up to 12, six high on that RGN to make it legal where you don't have to put, it's not over height technically because of the, the trailer is so low to the ground. But you know, from there, you know, it, 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 the axle disbursement of the weight is why you use those trailers for the most part, you know, because, you know, general rule of thumb is 10,000 pounds per axle on the truck, on the unit is what you can haul for a weight. You know, some would argue, you know, you can go a little bit more than that, but I've always found from a, a hauling perspective and a quoting perspective, general rule of thumb, 10,000 pounds per axle. So a 10 axle RGN would be required to move a hundred thousand pound piece. That's what, what I've just for easy math is what I found to go along with it. But you know, then again, if you're running out West here, for example, you don't need pilot cars for certain you know loads because it's not technically a what's a what's a pilot car? So they're the ones who drive. If you're ever driving down the freeway and you see the trucks running with the the flashing lights on top, yep. and they got the oversized load, they're running to keep traffic away from the truck because that truck. Yeah, they're can't like stop. man. You're, sometimes you see manufactured houses on there or enormous equipment, pipes, solar yep. panels. <laughs> it's there to pre- essentially keep the motoring public away from the driver is what it is. And then they're also up there like, hey, is there any delays coming along? Because again, those trucks can't stop on a dime, you know? So it's like, it's more of like a warning safety system as well. And then they're also checking routes with it. And then there's also what's called a pole car. So those are like, essentially, it's got like a a pole on the front of it and a little tennis ball on front because they're checking overpasses to see like, hey, is this overpass actually (laughs) going to work for it? Because again, with uh, you know being an engineer like you are, you know things shift in time, and if the roadway drops a little bit, you don't want that truck going over and ripping the roof of uh, of a modular building off of the cargo. Yeah, that I imagine you put that in your training. Don't uh, don't crash into bridges. Correct. That was one thousand percent. Yeah. So you mentioned Conestogas. Can you explain what that is and why we need them? So a Conestoga is like an accordion of a trailer where it's like, you know, you normally have a flatbed with tarps or a step deck with tarps. Well, a Conestoga is, it's like a motorized tarping system, but it's like an accordion where it'll, it can fold up on there. They can still. So it's soft-sided. I don't know what it's made of, but it looks like it's, it looks like it's canvas or something, but it's probably something other than that. Yep. And a lot of that, a lot of those are used for, like you could say like a building materials load. So if you got a load of shingles or a load of siding. That's mainly, like not mainly, but you'll find it as a multi-drop load. So it might go to six different Home Depots, for example, where they only need six pallets at each or, or however you want to break it down. And instead of the driver having to go and untarp and retarp the whole thing, he's just got to press one button, the trailer slides back, offload the product, trailer slides, the, the, the sidewall slide back. Yeah, so those are those are a lot of times side-loaded stuff. So let's just yes. say I was buying three big machines, right? That we are going to be moving from say Mexico up to New York. I load them on the side. I can't take a trailer. I can't take my forklift to the very, all the way in sometimes. So sometimes you have to load it on the side. Yes. And then the Conestoga can cover that rather than tarping. And I think tarping is 
a problem for a lot of companies because when you're putting a tarp over that machine, because maybe it's warm in Mexico, maybe it's sunny in Mexico the day you're tarping it, but now I got to drive all the way to New York and I've got to worry about the wind blowing it off. Maybe I didn't put the tarp. Tarps tear sometimes even. I mean, I've, it's rare given what they're using, but you're also making the driver do a lot of dangerous work because he, first off, you're up on a flatbed. Yeah. Secondly, you're, so you're high in the air and you're trying to get something over the top of a big machine. And somebody told me years ago, and I, I just, it stuck in my head, they were in the north, <laughs> Midwest in the north, and it was a cold February day and the wind was blowing and this guy's holding a tarp and he's he's an older guy and they're like, that dude's going to fly to Iowa yeah. when that, if the wind catches him. And it's it's difficult and it's... Let's face it; it's 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 dangerous to do tarping sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. The elements definitely play a key factor in that, and that's why you know, as a sales rep, identifying that and offering that solution. Because again, I think not everybody knows everything. You know, I pride myself on. I never knew what a Conestoga was. I, I honestly, yeah. I I kept googling it and I kept seeing pictures, and I was like, I've, all I thought about is Conestoga wagons on the Oregon Trail, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> But you know, again, it's a, it's offering the video a, game, not the uh, <laughs> not the actual organization. <laughs> it's you know, it's offering a different solution out there, and and again, it's a, it's never taking anything at face value and and bringing that to the table. And I think that also shows, you know, it, it adds value to your customers' operation because I'm sure there's shippers out there that have never heard of a Conestoga, and because like at times people are like, oh, I just do what the customer says, and I don't offer an alternative solution. Well, what if that alternative solution can like legitimately save them money and time. It can make them more efficient in their operation. Also, I'm just thinking, you tell me, if I'm a driver and you say, this needs to be tarped, you're like, okay, that's uh, that's something I don't want to do. That Especially, is extra work. It's potentially dangerous work. It's time. It's, you know, no, who, who among us, who, who listening to this podcast says, yes, I would like to jump up on a flatbed and try and cover these big machines with tarps yeah, right. and make sure they don't come loose over my thousand mile trip. I would agree. No fun. So by the way, let's speak about drivers. When we're talking about all these kind of all the specialized equipment, whether it's overweight, overdimensional, needing Conestoga or tarps, needing to be strapped down, are the drivers, do they have to have any special license for this or is it just the average driver can do it? Average, I mean, just to the best of my knowledge, standard CDL that you would get is, you know, like you're going to go through additional training. Like you're not just going to get your CDL and just start hauling heavy haul. You know what I mean? You need a certain amount of experience. These are not the green, green guys. Yeah. But, you know, a valid CDL and then, you know, an open mind on on learning a different way of doing it and and going in there and getting that experience, I think is key. It's it's not that you, you can't do it. By any means, I, I personally think like, I mean, if I ever drove, that's exactly what I would get into. Yeah. Well, I know they're harder to find because not every driver wants that extra work. And by the way, if let's face it, especially as you get older, you're, when you're doing something physical outside like that, and then you got to get in a car and that's the same with loading un, and loading and unloading. Yeah, for certain products, you have to load and unload. Those drivers are pretty rare. Because yeah. you think about I'm moving I'm moving stuff in and out of the truck and then you're oh that was a lot of work now I'm going to sit in the same position for eight hours and see how that works. <laughs> no, I completely agree. <laughs> completely agree. So I know this from my own experience. 
finding flatbeds or finding any of the specialized equipment, it's it's much harder. <laughs> and and I, I think of one load that I always struggled with. I had a customer that needed it picked up on the west coast of Michigan. So right on Lake Michigan. Yep. Right. You can practically see Wisconsin across the lake. Not. <laughs> but it's it's a little north. So there's not a lot up there, not a lot of density. And they would want something picked up there. And there's no but no flatbed companies around there. So, so you almost have to find a driver who says, yeah, I live on the lake. Yeah. Really hard. And I remember I would always say to my customer, and by the way, this stuff didn't necessarily have to be moved flatbed. That was their own silly design that I told them, let's redesign these parts so we stop all the flatbed moves. But it sucked. And my team would come in my office and say, I can't find a flatbed for there. And we, even we gave us a week sometimes, we struggled. It's definitely gotten a lot easier, I think, like out there. But yeah, at when I first started brokering, same thing, man, is it was, you know, kind of finding a flatbed was like, oh, how do we, how do we even do this? But we have to specialize in it. So you have the big list of them. Yeah. And, and I think like now that that holds true for specialized trailers, you know, specialized RGNs and everything. That holds true because th- those drivers aren't on a load board. And if they are on a load board, they're not available today, most parts. Somebody might take that and be like, oh, I found it before. But for the most part, they are 72 hours out, you know, like they're, they're a ways out before they can even go in there and get it picked up. And, you know, another thing too, is it's like, as you're organizing overdimensional freight, you always need to get a copy of the blueprints, find the dimensions of the product that you're moving, double check and verify that because I mean, permits are like literally a game of inches at that point, Joe. And if you put the wrong dimensions on your permits, you're going to have to restart the permitting process and everything at that time. So again, it's like you have to be extremely detail-oriented. Who do you have to submit those permits to? Well, I mean, most of the time the carriers will take that and pull the permits themselves because some guys have annual permits. You know, like if they only run specific states, they just pull annual permits. So they don't have to technically go in there and wait for the state to issue them back to them because they already have it. They just have to register their shipment. So this is this is permits to move overdimensional and overweight product on yes. the, that expressway or yep, that absolutely. And by the way, there's certain states like Michigan where we have a lot of, and I think your your uh, home state of Wisconsin has the same challenge. Is we have the temperature warms up during the day and the snow melts. The rain gets into the cracks of this, the roads. And then at night it freezes and those roads get lots of potholes. And if you're moving a lot of industrial or heavy haul stuff over those roads, makes it all that much worse. And so if you come to the Midwest, you come for the, you come for the people, not the roads. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> I think Michigan's probably the worst, but because those, those, overweight overdimensional they they are tough on the roads but again it's partly our weather so what kind of stuff moves heavy haul what's the when somebody calls freight coach logistics and says chris help me what kind of what kind of freight is this well joe i wish they were calling me to and, and, you know <laughs> i wish that was the case they will after hearing this but i know, hope a, a lot of it, it's it's very dependent i mean some of it is I've seen a complete oil field breakdown where they were moving the oil field where we'd have to come in. We'd send in trucks for that. We've had construction equipment 
We've had yeah, modular you'll always see that. Yep. Yeah, we've had blowers like out, you know, you know, out in the Midwest at a lot of the grain buildings and, and everything. Yep. Like those are loaded on trailers and shipped out. Power companies who are building power. Yeah. Big HVAC stuff is always on that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different pieces. So solar panel brackets, solar panels themselves, a lot of infrastructure stuff. So if there's an infrastructure spending, that's um that's good for for you guys. Like you got to think concrete too. So like one of my customers is a large concrete shipper and they're just like, like for bridges and stuff, man, like I don't even know what to say. It's just concrete pieces. They're cylinders. They drop them on there. They truck them out. And then I've even, you know, even scales, like another customer of mine does uh heavy duty scales for like grain haulers and stuff where they, where they drive the trucks on and it, you know, they can wait because they get paid by the hundred weight. Those are over dimensional as well, where they'll drop them on you know, th- those are, don't necessarily need to be on an RGM, but a flatbed or a step deck and everything. So there's a just a myriad of different commodities that you can ship uh, that are overdimensional. Yeah, and I'm not going to overstate this, but I think there's some truth to it. Is that this is more consulting at when you're doing this type of than just saying, "Hey, I can get you the best rate." I, I'm sure people want a good price. Everybody has a budget, but when you find somebody who does this kind of thing well, it's like freight forwarding. Everyone I know in freight forwarding has said to me, it's not the same as over the road because yeah. it's a lot more hands touching it. It's a lot more complex. And when you find someone who doesn't screw up, you're like, I will pay them. I'm going to keep my guy. <laughs> I am not searching yeah. around. I don't want to train somebody else. I don't, when I say train somebody else, I mean train them in my commodity because every one of the things we just talked about has its own issues. And so once you say, yeah, I've moved oil field equipment, they go, I get it. <laughs> you get it. You, you, you understand the challenges we have. Machines have machine, big machines have their own challenges. Once you become that heavy haul expert or you find your heavy haul expert, you don't want to move away from them or her because it's not worth, it's not worth working with somebody who's, who's, hey, I'm 10% yeah. lower price and I'm learning on the job. No. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. Yes. So anyway, let's wrap this bad boy up, Chris. So some final thoughts on this topic to tell us again what you guys are doing and and uh, why you think you guys are doing Well, why you are doing it different and better than the rest. You know, at, at the end of the day, Joe, I'm our company slogan is one truckload at a time for a reason. I, you know, I've been doing this way too long to be naive or arrogant to ever walk in and think like I'm going to come in and take away everybody else's freight because business is earned. You know, if, if there's one invaluable lesson I have learned over these last few years of being self-employed is, is customers are not disposable like at all. When you earn them, you have to continuously earn them one truckload at a time. Just because I've done a thousand loads for somebody doesn't mean I'm entitled to the thousand and first. So for me, it's taking that approach and it's taking that human element that some are moving away from and putting it back in. Like I'm me, like this, this is me. You'll, you'll be in direct contact with me if you're moving freight with us. And, you know, for me, it's being that partner. It's being that, you know, at the end of the day, good, bad, or indifferent, I'm going to let you know what's going on. Because bad news doesn't get better in time. I'm going to have an in-depth conversation with all aspects of it. Because again, the beauty of doing it as long as I have is 
I know not everything's going to go right, and I need to know the procedures that we need to follow or implement in the event that something happens. Because the thing is with a lot of these machines is they're very expensive, and depending on where it's going, the machines oh, they're that are one-offs. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is like the the machine, like the 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 cost of offloading and loading these things are done by a jobs a crew. There, you know, there's a crane that comes in. That, like these are very Might expensive. Be point, yeah, we didn't mention it, but there are oftentimes appointments with this kind of thing because you got riggers who get paid a lot of money, and they might have exactly rented and, out a crane for a thousand bucks an hour to take that off a truck. And that's exactly it, Joe. And that, like, and and I know that. I know how time sensitive things are. I know how communication is of the essence. And I would rather let you know a day before than five minutes before. And, you know, I've, again, I've just been doing this too long. You're, you're, you're not sitting there waiting for the miracle to happen? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I've paid for a job crew to get sent home for the day because I thought it would work out. And that was an expensive lesson that I'm glad I learned. So I would rather let somebody know ahead of time so the crew doesn't go out, you know? And then we we, we save on, on that regard. But again, what, what I'm doing differently is like, this isn't a lifestyle for me. You know, like, like this is how I provide for my family. This is not a game to me. And, and, and my, my motivations run a lot deeper than making a couple of bucks. Like I'm here to change the industry for the better. And that's what we're doing. We're here to improve it, to get the respect that the hardworking men and women of the transportation industry deserve. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, Chris. And so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Let's and do I it. know you'll have a very good answer. Who should I have on my podcast? Who should you have on your podcast? Ooh, it depends. What what angle are you trying to take right now? Are you looking to go in the tech? Are you looking to go the ship? I like, always like I always like talking to founders. I always like talking to techies, but I like talking to people who are doing great things in the industry. I should connect I, what, you regardless of their job. You know, you should get connected with Cassandra Gaines with Carrier Sure. If you're if you haven't been, I would love. To, yes, I would love to have Cassandra. I did talk to her a few years ago. When we talked, and then she never. I know she's a busy gal. She's got a lot going on in that. Yeah, I was going to say. By the her, way, if you guys if you guys haven't paid attention, she's got a podcast called Mad Gaines, and she is a lawyer who really understands this business like the back of her hand. And then she started a company called Carrier Assure. And I think I, I don't want to misstate, but I believe it's making sure you're not working with the wrong carriers. And that, let's face it, that is one of those mistakes that once you've made it, you will go out of your way not to work with a carrier, a bad carrier again. And she will help you miss those. And by the way, she's also the person who is you call when you have a really big problem with a carrier. So it's not as if she doesn't understand the, the space in real, real time. So yeah, I've loved it. If you can introduce, absolutely. If I, I've been introduced, I guess. Um, if you can get Cassandra to come on my podcast, I would love it. Yeah, I'll, I'll put you guys in touch for sure. Excellent. And so, um, Chris, we talked a little bit about your new biz. How do we reach out and talk to you? you when can... I say new biz, I, it feels like you've been doing <laughs> kind of the same thing, just different flavors of it. But how do we reach out and talk to you at? Uh, freight coach logistics you know the best way to reach out to me is just going to be chris at the freightcoach.com that's where i'm in there and you can get in contact with me or you can find me on any social media channel just look for the freight coach send me a direct message on there 
or you know, I'm on YouTube where you know you can check out my content and uh, my my podcast drops on there every single day, as well as the uh, audio only, which is on uh, Spotify and uh, iTunes. There, so excellent, excellent. So what I'll do is I'll put your bio and your LinkedIn profile on on the uh, in the show notes, and I'll also put a link to your podcast. By the way, guys, if you aren't already, li- already listening, Chris got a top podcast. You want to check that out. And and to your YouTube channel and anything else you give me, I'll put those links in so people can reach out and talk to you. Perfect. I appreciate it, Joe. As always, thank you so much. Oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Chris. And yeah, no, normally when I talk to Chris, it goes way too long and we talk about football and kids and a million other things that we're not supposed to be talking about. But <laughs> this this we kept on task. I'm kind of proud of us. So we did. Anyway, thank you so much, pal. And, and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.